Welcome to the Fun Engagement Pod from Fun Insights, bringing you insights straight from the experts. You can join the Fun Engagement Network at funinsights.co.uk and we'll let you know when new episodes come out. We're also on Acast, Google, Apple and all major podcasting platforms. This stuff is the future. 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 Welcome to episode five of the Fan Engagement Pod, an interview with Tom Gorringe, Commercial Director at Bristol Rovers. I'm not sure the title Commercial Director does him justice, as he is a very admired exponent of fan engagement across the industry. Tom manages to integrate what are too often seen as competing demands in football clubs, that of the commercial and the need for listening, dialogue and collaboration with fans. Key to this success, I think, is that he sees the two as complementary and not competing. Since the interview, Tom has joined the board of directors of the club. Thanks for joining um, uh, me today. Um, you're currently commercial director at Bristol Rovers. You previously were at Portsmouth, Cardiff, uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. That's your hometown club, isn't it? Your own, um, the club you support, I believe. It is, yeah. It is, yeah. Um, Portsmouth was the place you started at. That's quite a set, um, an interesting set, actually you're hard to pin down I would say from looking at those clubs but the one thing that's there is um, is I think you like a challenge and then it turns out actually Bristol Rovers has become a, 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 a different challenge than perhaps what it was when you arrived I don't know um, um, and then obviously with what's going on at the moment and the context being the coronavirus it, it's a challenge for anyone working in at the level you're working at anyone at a football club but anyone working at the level you're at um, in football, but in terms of um, uh, the, the common threads, is is this a sort of journey you've been on, or is it just are you the kind of person who, well, I've had enough of that, I'm going to go off and do something else now, and that interests me, or is there a thread here um, that you've been following? Um, I think it's, it's probably somewhere in between. Um, like I said, I started at Portsmouth. Um, I started there as a placement year initially as part of my university degree um, and everybody had a requirement to go out and do something uh, and all I knew was that I wanted to do something that I enjoyed so um, I contacted a few um, sports related businesses and obviously being in Portsmouth at the time I just wandered down to Fratton Park and says I've got to do a placement year and I'd quite like to do it here. Um, we went back and forth, we got passed around for a few people, but kind of carried on pushing and eventually ended up with an interview and uh, the longest two months in between that and when I got a phone call to say they'd like to have me in. So um, once I got my foot in the door, they, they couldn't really get rid of me from that point. Okay. Um, so I ended up staying there for four years. Um, they went into administration twice during that time, um, got relegated twice, got to the FA Cup final loads of owners um loads of different uh, well two different sets of administrators lots of different people running the club at different times um so you kind of got thrown in at the deep end and got used to the fact that um football wasn't kind of an ordinary business and things would regularly change quite dramatically quite quickly um i was only been there for 
three months on my placement when they went into administration for the first time. And um, I think they got rid of 86 people. 86 people were made redundant on, on the first day, the first round. So um, effectively there, there was 86 roles that, that still needed fulfilling. And so it ended up being a, a kind of perfect place to start because it um, elevated my, my progress there and meant that I could get involved in different tasks that I probably wouldn't have been on a normal normal placement year so it was the, the best place to go really um and yeah ultimately I think what's what's happened with me the reason why the, the journey's gone where it has is if I feel like I've hit a glass ceiling where I am and I'm, I'm not learning and I'm not progressing then then I'll naturally seek something else um so uh yeah it's kind of led me to to go on the, the strange route I've gone on um, that happened at Portsmouth there in administration for the second time and um, I was approached to go to Cardiff City um, at the time I was I was still early 20s and relatively junior there um, but because of the way that the administration had gone I'd just renegotiated all of their um, sponsorships for the upcoming season coming into League One um, so we managed to increase the profitability of those agreements, um, despite the fact we'd been relegated. Um, and that included the front of shirt and all the major stand deals. Um, and uh, I was willing to stay there at the time, um, but uh, obviously the the challenge of moving to a new club, staying in the championship. Um, Cardiff had obviously had a few years where they were in and around the playoffs and the aspirations were clear that they wanted to get promoted. Um, so I took the plunge and it was all quite sudden. <laughs> mm-hmm. so I remember I kind of packed up my car and drove to Cardiff on my own and and uh, I was living in a hotel. And I went there on the Saturday and they had a game live on Sky on the Sunday. Um, so obviously that was in the midst of all their rebrands. So they'd gone from blue to red, mm-hmm. uh, which was an interesting time. And, that was then mirrored with a successful season on the pitch where they got promoted to the Premier League. Um, so a brilliant time. Absolutely loved it there. Tell me, tell me about your, um, Tom, the, the, now obviously um, your role is a commercial sort of animal, if you like. There's a, there's a, there's a sense that it's got to be the authentic, that any deals can't, you can't just um sign a deal it's about the money done it's got to have it's got to un, it's got to be something that fits with the way uh, the, the 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 way the club is the character of the club and and I, you know i mean i suppose in a sense what it is is that the notion of fan engagement as a as a strategic idea is something that runs through the right down the middle of the club that fans need to feel like they understand the decisions that are made and they feel like they they understand why things are done. That seems to run through all the things you do. There just seems to be kind of very easy weaving of that narrative in. And I, I, I think I find that quite, I, in my experience, I find that quite unusual. Is that something that you've learned through the, you know, being burnished in, you know, let's be honest, in Portsmouth was a tough, that's a tough start. And then you go to Cardiff and yes, success on the pitch and doubtless some degree of financial success off it. But you, you know, you got yourself in a club that 
rebranded itself. It changed its kit colour without talking to the fans properly. It didn't. It didn't get the permission it needed to get. And that those things must have shaped you as well as you. I think you probably have a natural. Um, your approach is probably naturally geared in that direction. Did those things really influence you to make you even more sort of cognizant of the need to be to be in dialogue with fans over things? Yeah, I think I think it kind of happened naturally. I mean, like I said at the start, my my passion for football um, has been there for as long as I can remember, and so I think understanding um, why fans do what they do um, means that you act in a certain way when you've when you've got the responsibility to effectively represent those fans and do the best you can for for their club. Um, obviously, the both examples that Cardiff and Portsmouth were quite extreme and it so it kind of forced you to do that to the extreme degree I mean at, at Pompey we were literally relying on the fans to to keep the club alive for a period of time um, and the support and the passion that they showed during those times when it was really tough was was um, unbelievable really to witness um, and as you know fans ended up saving the football club um, so to then go out of that environment and go into Cardiff where um, in a weird sort of way it was kind of the extreme opposite in that obviously they weren't happy about the rebrand. Um, I kind of drew the short straw in that um, I was made SLO there, so mm-hmm. support liaison officer. Uh, and so I would go to all of the, the kind of backstreet pubs in Cardiff with all the rowdiest fans and listen to what they had to say about the rebrand and why they didn't agree with it um, and ultimately those conversations evolved into um, a kind of committee that was created where um, they sat down with with the chairman, uh, Mehmet who's still there um, and he met with them um, semi-regularly and then after I left that process continued to evolve to the point where that decision was eventually reversed and they're back now playing in blue. Um, so yeah I think I think all of that stuff comes from uh, kind of a natural passion for the game and an understanding of why supporters act in the way that, that they do. Right. Um, I've, I've always seen my role as not just every football club needs to be commercial or have a level of commerciality in order to um, to compete and to, to be sustainable. Um, but I've always seen my role as effectively balancing mm. the commercial with the community um, mm. So doing all the things we need to do to generate the income that we need to to survive and and ultimately to thrive, but doing that while supporting the community and and supporting the supporters um, to try and get everybody pulling in the same direction and ultimately we all want to achieve the same goal. So if we can get everybody working together to do that, um, if you can be open and honest and explain the reasons for doing the things you're doing, I think most fans understand that and, and get on board with it. Okay, and and then to to take that um, to Brighton, um, your own, you know, the club you support. <clears throat> um, I mean, that some people would say, um, you know, that any, you know, who anyone who supports a club would perhaps say that working for it would be, um, you know, a dream, the dream job. Um, I'm sure it's a bit more difficult than that, but I'm sure there was, to some extent, there must have been a bit of a sort of pinch yourself. What am I doing here? Um, and and an exciting time as well, bringing you know, and something to a quite a quite different club in that respect. In many senses, lots of the passion that you see. I mean, obviously in both clubs, Portsmouth and Cardiff, but 
you know, the, the, the really positive change at Brighton being that they'd come through adversity, you know, in the late 90s and the loss of the, the goals and all that kind of stuff to a point where they were on the fringes of, you know, of a great achievement and an extraordinary sort of turnaround. So what was that like? Because that's a different level of challenge, um, a different type of challenge rather to, to the other two. And somewhere where I've certainly considered that someone like Paul Barber under seems to think similarly, at least, that, that you need to have, you know, that idea of pulling in the same direction thing. Um, yeah, so, um, I think throughout my career to that point, everybody always used to say that um, it must be a dream to to end up at Brighton one day. And I was just to say that that was my kind of worst case scenario. Um, I was adamant that I would never work there. Um, I was keen to keep it separate. Um, and particularly at that time, I, I met my wife in Cardiff. Um, so it was a big, big decision. Um, to make the change, uh, even when Brighton first contacted or I was contacted about going to to Brighton, I told the the guy on the phone that I wasn't interested uh, and that I was happy at Cardiff at the time. Um, and obviously, I'd, I'd known Paul for a long time, so um, I got invited down to London to have a coffee with Paul, and um, I decided to go and I'd just have a chat with him. And I met with him and a couple of other people at the club. Um, and they kind of went into a bit more detail about what it was they were trying to achieve and and what what the role was and it was an exciting opportunity. Mm. Um, so then I got invited back uh, to meet uh, the owner, uh, Tony Bloom, and one of the directors. Um, so I went to the Grove in London and, and met them there, and uh, we were having a chat. And once you sit down with Tony, he's mm. uh, he's such an inspirational guy. Put hundreds of millions of pounds into to the football club he supports. And I remember sitting there in this, I suppose it was an interview, but it didn't really feel like it. Uh, and I asked him what it was that he wanted to achieve. And he said he just wanted to build the football club up uh, and one day pass it on to his son so that he could run it. Um, and obviously his, uh, his granddad was on the board um, mm. and obviously they wanted to be kind of best in class in every area. So, um, that was really attractive to me. Mm. Um, like you said, Paul Barber is is highly regarded within the industry, so um, the opportunity to work with him and report directly to him um, was also attractive. Mm. So I remember I left the meeting and I was on the way back to, to Cardiff and I received a phone call from Brighton and they said um, that they'd like to offer me a, a position there and they only want to do it if it's something that I would be open to because um, I'd, I'd been quite honest mm. about uh, the fact that I was happy where I was and uh, I agreed and the rest is history. Um, so, so, yeah. so, so Tom, so Tom, the, 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 the um, going off to Bristol Road, now obviously that's closer, um, you know, in part, part of this, because I know I'm aware you still live in, you still live in Wales. <coughs> um, so obviously it's closer, but I doubt very much that that's the reason you specifically took the job. Um, I'm sure there's something about a challenge in all of this. Um, and I can, I think, I think I can identify it a little bit because in my old role at supporters direct, as different as it was in many respects, um, my, the challenge I always enjoyed was going and fixing something and then letting people 
take it on another step. And, and the joy now is for me to look back and go, look at what the input I had has done. Um, and in reality, my role is quite small, but it's just influential at the time. Um, so you, the, the, the other theme seems to be, um, you, you say, you talk about a glass ceiling, but it's also a sort of, you know, there's something in there that you can see is worth, you know, Bristol Rovers, you know, the, the, the term, uh, giant of the game and all that kind of stuff gets used. I don't think, you know, sleeping giants, I think that's a load of corny terminology, but Bristol Rovers is definitely a football club to my mind that is punching below its weight and has done for a long time. And actually your arrival and some of the sort of the narrative, some of the, some of the thread of the the story that you tell about Bristol Rovers uh, and that, that, that you talk about um, in a lot of your communications, it's, it's a, it's, um, it recognizes that, you know, that, 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 that missing part, that's that bit that's been missing from Bristol Rovers for so long. So it's, it is a, you know, you, you seem to like this thing of going in and um, fixing and then, and then building out and get and get getting it some substance and then getting it some, um, you know, giving it the opportunity to, to, to thrive long term. Well, certainly with Rovers, that's the, that's the yeah, thing. This is a I, big... I think it's really important whenever you go into a football club that you leave it in a better position than what, what you joined it. Um, and uh, I think you could probably say that that's been the case at every club I've been at. Um, if, if you're not working to achieve that, then then you shouldn't really be there, um, is, is how I feel about it. Um, like I say, with Rovers, it was, it was the challenge that really excited me. I remember going in and um, it's a proper football club. If you, I, I came out and I remember I spoke to a couple of people when I left, um, like my old man. And and when you leave there, you know that if you love football, it's the sort of place you would love to go. Um, there's no, it's it's not been overly sanitised. It's not, in a lot of ways, and modernised. And so it was still that, like I say, authentic football experience. Um, and also, like you said, I think the club's punched under its weight for a long time you I was excited by the level of potential there um it reminded me of a nice mix of um the kind of passion and loyalty that you could see at Pompey within the fans and then the opportunity and the size of the, the fan base you could see at Brighton you look at Brighton when they're at the Withdean uh, playing at a similar level they were playing in front of smaller crowds um, and obviously the Amex was the thing that unlocked the the full potential of their fan base and allowed them to kick on. Um, obviously, I was at Brighton at the time in the Premier League, and again, that's the sort of thing that I think anyone externally would look at it and go, well, that must be the dream to be in the Premier League, and um, I'm sure a lot of people were amazed and surprised when I dropped down two divisions <laughs> to go, go to Bristol Rovers at the Mem. Um, but for me, it was a bit of a no-brainer, really. And I'd always said to to Paul that I was keen to move on and and not necessarily leave Brighton. But um, if an opportunity came up that was exciting, then then I would have to take that. Um, so I don't think he was too surprised when I explained uh, what it was that I was I was going to do. Um, and yeah, for me, Rovers has been brilliant so far. Um, just over two and a half years in, and. Uh, we've made some some really really good changes, and hopefully there's a lot more on the on the horizon. Um, again, it's the the attractions for me were how loyal and passionate the fan base was, 
and how underutilized all of that passion and and um, support was to to try and make the club reach its full potential and and kick it on. So um, yeah, it's a it's a brilliant club. Um, and okay, what what we go. what's the? I mean, amongst all of the um, all of the obvious challenges you do have when you go to each well, in each of those individual clubs is going to have a set of <clears throat> in many respects distinct challenges. Some very similar ones, I'm sure. But, um, you know, you, you sort of, you know, you, you seem to be quite natural about how you do all of this, which is, which is grand. And, you know, I think lots of people could, could learn a lot from that. But there'll be difficult things. Um, I suspect that one of the things that is, is tricky, in, and, and this would be, I think, the case for, for any football club, but would be particularly tricky in the places you've worked in, is that um, is well certainly for three of those clubs, including the present one, has been, um, if you like, the politics. You know that actually, for, for various reasons, the fan base is restless, might be frustrated, angry um, towards the football club and the people running it and owning it. Um, you know, it, it's that does seem to be something that, as a apart from the job at Brighton you know, where that had changed over a long period of time from where, where it was in the late 90s. But, you know, at, at Portsmouth, Cardiff and, and Bristol Rovers, you've got fans who need, they need things done differently. And, and that, that seems to be a theme amongst those three. Is that, is that something you found, you know, has that been tricky to navigate that? Because there are times when you're, you know, you're having to translate something from, the top level of the organisation from the football club, from the board, from the senior management, and you're trying to trans- translate that across to the fan base. That's not easy. Um, yeah, that, must, that must be a hard part of what you have to do sometimes. It's easier when maybe at Bristol Rose where you're, where you're at a director level and you're sort of in with the decisions at the, at the beginning of it. But do you see my point there? Yeah, and I understand what you're saying. And I think, um, I think it's important to make sure that you focus on your role and what you can affect and not get too wrapped up in, in the politics. Um, ultimately the most important thing with any football club is that you're moving in the right direction. Um, and so as long as you can see that, that progress is being made and we're, we're moving in the right direction, we're doing the right things, we're making positive changes uh, and we're being open and honest about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, there isn't anywhere to hide. Uh, and I think right, that's the bit Tom, isn't it? Sorry to interrupt. That's the bit. Um, open honest but I like that phrase there's nowhere to hide and yeah. and then when people say to you yeah but what about this you go well look, I've been honest about that you know I know the stadium for example you know hasn't emerged in the way it was meant to at Bristol Rovers um, and there's no sense that you're trying to tell them anything other than well that's been a difficult problem what we're focusing on is actually the football club needs to get itself to break even we need to run it well we need to deal we need to have good dialogue with fans we need to be open with you let's concentrate on those things rather than that rather than grasping for that all the time and basing everything around that yeah i think it's easy for um for i mean football's a passionate game so um that passion is is your kind of your your biggest plus point when it comes to fans and their loyalty and the fact they continue to turn up, even if you've lost 5-0, they'll still come back the following week. But at the same time, that's the, the biggest challenge. And I think understanding that that passion is 
is a positive for the football club and not getting offended if people act passionately to something that they don't agree with, I think is really important. Um, I've never really taken anything that any fan said to heart. Um, uh, I know that 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 passion is is their way of expressing their love for the club and they're only passionate about it because they want to see it it um, thrive. So working with people that are like that, I think, again, is, is the most important thing you can do. And again, like I said earlier, if you can channel that passion in the right way and get everybody pulling in the same direction. That's where you see, see the successes. And I think that's, to an extent, that's what happened at, at both Cardiff and Brighton when, when they got promoted. Um, obviously, other things have to go your way. But um, when you get that positive momentum, I mean, at Brighton, they, they went two years where um, they effectively were getting 90 points a season. Um, and that was all under the same umbrella of that togetherness that, that we created and everybody brought into. Um, and so having that momentum is really important and taking fans on the journey with you is the only way that it will work. Because if you try and run off and come up with grand ideas and tell them what you're doing as opposed to inviting them in to be part of the process, then all you'll do is create a divide and that doesn't benefit anyone.